BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. In order to support this show, we'll need the help of some great advertisers. And that means we'll need to learn a little bit more about you. So you can help the show by taking a quick, anonymous survey to help us get to know you a little better. Once you've completed the survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Find the survey at podsurvey.com slash case closed. That's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y dot com slash case closed. Thanks. Now enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Case Closed, a show about the times the bad guy didn't get away with it, the times the good guys discover exactly who the killer is, and how sometimes that's just the beginning of the story. I'm Charlie Spicer. Last episode, we took you inside the search for Aaron Corwin's body. Hundreds of volunteers and law enforcement officers spent eight weeks and over 5,000 hours searching for Erin. In the end, her body was found at the bottom of a mine shaft in the desert near Joshua Tree National Park. The discovery of Erin's body was a big deal, and not just because the search had been so difficult. Without a body, it would have been almost impossible to convict Erin's killer. And shortly after she went missing, the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Office was almost positive they knew who killed Aaron Corwin. As Aaron prepared to leave her apartment early on the morning of June 28, 2014, she wasn't the only one getting ready on Jasmine Drive. Since his affair with Aaron had been revealed that spring, Chris Lee and his wife, Nicole, had been planning to go back to Alaska when his military contract ended. Now Chris was in his final days. His time in the Marines would end July 7th. As his time in California wound down, Chris decided to take one last trip to the desert. And so, the morning of June 28th, in the apartment next door to Aaron's, Chris Lee was also getting ready for a day in Joshua Tree National Park. He talked about hunting coyotes and blowing up a mine shaft. An experienced hunter, he carried a 22 Winchester rifle to his car. On the way back from the carport, he ran into Connor Malachy and asked if Connor wanted to go coyote hunting. Author Shanna Hogan recalls the interaction. In the back of Chris's Jeep, Connor noticed something odd. There was a propane tank and at one point, Connor asked Chris what he was planning to do with it. And Chris made like a, a weird smile and said, uh, I'm going to blow stuff up or I'm going to have fun. 
Chris had visited the same abandoned area six days earlier with a friend, Joseph. The pair spent the 100-degree day wandering the desert, taking pictures of a rattlesnake Chris killed, of a dilapidated brick cabin, and of the mine shafts. It was the mine shafts that particularly interested Chris. He got into his car and headed to Highway 62, the main route to the national park. At 8.16 a.m., his phone buzzed with a text from Connor. Connor calls Chris back and says, hey, I can meet up with you. And so um, Chris gives him directions of where he'll be, but then he tells Connor that he's turning off his phone and then tell Nicole that his phone will be on airplane mode. And so Connor gets in his car and he heads down to look for Chris and spends hours searching the desert, trying to find him, trying to meet up with him, calling, texting repeatedly, and Chris never answers his phone, and he never finds Chris. When Chris turned his phone back on around 3.30, he had missed calls from his wife and from Connor. Chris calls Connor back and has this elaborate story that says he got lost, he got turned around, he, his phone was off, and at one point, some guy started shooting at him, and he got freaked out and, and drove back to the apartment complex. And when they meet back up in the apartment complex, the first thing Connor notices is that their, the propane tank is gone. When Chris got back to the apartment complex, Nicole was hyperventilating and having an asthma attack. She was very freaked out where he had been this whole time, what had taken so long, why he wasn't answering his phone. And Chris calmed her down, and they ended up getting takeout and eating dinner with their daughter. Elsewhere on Jasmine Drive, Chris was not the only one who had been out of touch. John, meanwhile, has seen no sign of Erin. He has been calling her like more than 50 times, uh, texting her, leaving voicemail. After the sun started to go down, he got really worried. Where is Erin? Where is she? Where, why isn't she called him? Why isn't she returned to the apartment complex? And he spends a, a sleepless night holding his phone, worried about Erin. And then the next morning he wakes up and he calls the sheriff's department and reports her missing. A pregnant woman lost in the desert during the summer was considered high priority for the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department. It wasn't unusual for hikers to get lost in Joshua Tree, and every year, dozens were rescued, and another handful died from dehydration, exposure to the elements, accidents, and even the occasional murder. The Sheriff's Department comes and canvasses the apartment complex, and when they first see Chris, they ask him about Aaron, and he says, I didn't really know her well. I didn't talk to her. The most we had exchanged were just simple passing by in the hallway, you know, a high here and a high there. A lie, one that was quickly corrected when the detectives made their next stop at Assling and Connor Malachy's apartment. Assling told the police Chris and Aaron had been having an affair that had ended in the spring. But when the detectives went back to Chris's apartment, he was gone. Aslan calls Nicole later that day and says, where's, where's Aaron? Do you guys know what happened to Aaron? And Nicole freaks out on her and, and says, I don't care what happens to that little bitch, and hangs up the phone. 
Nicole Lee's phone was not the only one ringing. As the detectives continued canvassing the apartment complex, Aaron's mother, Lore, got a call at home in Tennessee. What was your first thought that might have happened to her? Well, knowing that she had absolutely no sense of direction, I assumed she was lost. Lore was about to visit Aaron in 29 Palms. The two had made plans. She knew her daughter would not just run off. Probably the last part of our conversation was talking about all the things she wanted me to cook and making sure that she made the grocery list out right so that she would have all the ingredients. And all those ingredients were in her kitchen when I got there. Laura knew that something wasn't right. She booked a flight to California the next morning. As her mind raced about what might have happened to her daughter, she realized there was someone who might be able to help. If anybody had had any contact with Aaron, it would have been Jesse. So I immediately called the sheriff's deputy and told him I felt like Jesse could give him information. Jesse Trentum was Aaron's best friend. They were in constant communication, talking on the phone, texting. And Aaron told Jesse everything about her relationship with Chris, about the troubles in her marriage with John, even about her new pregnancy. Jesse was good at keeping Aaron's secrets. But by that night, Jesse would reveal all when we come back from the break. I want to tell you about another podcast you might like. It's called Unsolved. Unsolved is hosted by reporter Gina Barton at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. This season, she investigates a mysterious murder dating back 20 years. The victim was a Catholic priest named Friar Alfred Kunz. Someone slit his throat inside his parish school in 1998. Friar Kuntz was very attached to ancient traditions, and he even did exorcisms. The colorful set of suspects includes a Marine claiming to be clairvoyant and a man who feared the end of the world. You'll also get to hear audio of Friar Kuntz before his death. Learn why his beliefs and the group of people he called friends made his murder so hard to solve. Check out Unsolved Season 3, The Devil You Know, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is supported by the new thriller The Moroccan Girl by Charles Cumming. The novel follows Kit Carradine, a spy novelist who finds himself recruited for a real-life espionage assignment. His readers have always wondered if his descriptions of life in the British intelligence are based on real experience with espionage. But the truth is, he's no more a spy than they are until an MI6 agent asks him to keep an eye on a mysterious woman in Marrakesh, Morocco. At first, he's excited for the opportunity. But as he learns more about his target and her ties to dangerous uprisings, he quickly finds himself in over his head. And soon, the novelty and glamour of real-life espionage gives way to much more sinister feelings of fear and betrayal. You can find a copy of Charles Cummings' The Moroccan Girl 
wherever books are sold. It's available in hardcover, ebook, and digital audio. Again, that's The Moroccan Girl by Charles Cumming. Or click the link in the show notes to learn more. As the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department began investigating Erin Corwin's disappearance the day after she went missing, they talked to everyone. Erin's husband, John, her neighbors, her mother, Lore. But there was one person who was in communication with Erin more than anyone else, her best friend, Jessie Trentum. Jessie knew everything about Erin, including her secrets. But when the police first contacted Jessie, she didn't tell them everything. Jessie is really nervous at first. She knows that she would be revealing her friend's deepest, darkest secrets. She fears what Erin will say to her when she returns back. But she realizes how serious the situation is. At first, Jessie was just hinting when she talked to the sheriff's department, hinting that they should go talk to Chris, that Chris might know more. And when the sheriff revealed that Chris is back, that they had actually talked to him and he had denied actually even knowing Aaron, then Jesse got extremely alarmed. Like, first thing popped in my head is, where is she? Why are you here? Why is she not? She knew that if Chris was back and Aaron was not with Chris, then something was very, very wrong. And so she revealed everything. Jesse told the police the affair between Aaron and Chris had never ended. Aaron believed she was pregnant with Chris's baby. When Aaron found out she was pregnant, did she did she think it was Chris's or did she think it might be John's? She was pretty sure. She was like 90% sure it was Chris's. And she told Chris right away? I know she told him because they were at one point talking about baby names. Chris knew about the baby, and not only that. Erin told Jesse that Chris wanted to take her somewhere special as a surprise to celebrate her being pregnant. They planned to spend the whole day together. So when Erin went to Joshua Tree National Park on June 28th, she was planning to meet Chris. And on Monday, June 30th, the detectives found Aaron's abandoned blue Corolla about five miles outside Joshua Tree. We find out that they found her car without her. Oh, my gosh. And that's when I knew something had happened, because we were going to go to SeaWorld. We were going to go to San Diego Zoo. Um, she would have never given that trip up, never given that trip up. So after they find her car... Um... What, you're, are you thinking the worst then at that point? Or? I knew that something had happened. I knew that she was no longer in the picture. Mm. Yeah, and she would text me or call me almost daily, you know, multiple times. You know, we would have contact frequently throughout the day. And... I had texted her on Saturday, and she never responded. And, you know, I didn't hear from her on Sunday, and, you know, nothing on Monday. And then they find her car. I mean, she just wasn't going to go that long without contact with me. 
As detectives continued working on the case, they weighed what they knew. Erin had been having an affair. She had been planning to meet her lover on the morning she went missing, and she believed she was pregnant with his child. But she was also married to another man, a man who had waited a full day to alert police that his pregnant wife was missing. The detectives right away are wondering, could John have had anything to do with it? You know, did he know about the affair and did he kill his own wife? So the police are questioning John and at first he seems very quiet and they're wondering if he has something to hide. They wonder why it took him so long to alert police, why, they didn't, why he didn't call that night and tell police that she was missing. At the same time, the suspicion around the Marine base is, did John do something to his wife? On Facebook, he's being attacked and painted as a killer. Around the Marine base, people are giving him dirty looks and looking at him suspiciously. But it was another Marine who the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department considered the prime suspect, Christopher Lee. And they decided to bring him to the police station for an interview. Chris admitted to the affair, blaming his depression. But he maintained that the relationship was largely emotional. She was someone to talk to about stuff that I didn't want to talk to about with my wife, you know, problems that I didn't even think I needed to face. But she was, I guess she was someone that I could tell stuff that I didn't want to tell anybody else, you know, because she was a secret. So I could tell her my secrets. Chris was adamant that the affair had not been sexual, that it had been over for months, and that Erin was a pathological liar who manipulated him into thinking her husband abused her. John said she'd been lying about, you know, him being abusive, and then she was like, and he was like, you know, I was just defending myself. She was the one that hit me first, and I guess she had been lying to me, she had been lying to John, been lying to her friends. talking to Chris, they're being gentle, they're asking him questions about his life, you know, they're trying to give him outs and say, you know, I know you might not want to admit to the affair because you don't want to get in trouble with your wife and with the Marines. And then the police confront him that it looks like his tire tracks have been right, parked right next to her vehicle. We know that you met with her on Saturday morning, the day that she went missing. We know that. And we also know that you were one of the last people to see her alive. Chris, something happened out there? We know that something happened out there? You know that something happened out there? And we just need to understand what happened out there. We need to understand why it happened out there. You had some problems. You, you were dealing with it. You were trying to get yourself, right? And I don't believe you're a cold-blooded killer, because I deal with cold-blooded killers all the time. I deal with gangsters. I deal with people who go out there and just murder for no reason, okay? No reason. They just drive by, they have no remorse, okay? I don't believe that you were a cold-blooded killer, but something happened out there, and I need to understand what happened. 
Because the truth is going to come out. We're going to find her. We're going to be able to find out the truth when we find her. Okay? And we need to know that truth. For the first time, Chris admits that he didn't see Erin that day that she went missing, but he did see her car. He claimed that he was driving, you know, to Joshua Tree National Park for his coyote hunt, and he passed by her car, pulled over, saw that she wasn't in it, and then continued to drive away. Chris remains steadfast. He had seen the car, but he had not seen Aaron that day. But when the detectives asked if he would be willing to take a lie detector test, he said no. Before he left, detectives asked Chris if there was anything else they should know. I work plenty of homicide cases, buddy. I'm going to find out every single message that was sent. They asked Chris if they would find anything suspicious on his phone and tell him it's best that he reveal it because they're going to find whatever he was doing on his phone. And so Chris does reveal that he had made some suspicious searches for how to dispose of a body. A month and a half ago, I was having a conversation with one of the guys in the duty that uh, it came up randomly, you know, random marine talk, but the best way to dispose of a body. Probably just under a month ago. What would you search on? Uh, we were using Google on my phone and uh, his phone, I think. That their phone? Yes. Okay. Well, what were the results? What did you find out? Um, pigs. Pigs? Mm-hmm. What does it say pigs do? They eat them. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. I've never heard of that. Holy crap. That's a new one. After a five-hour interrogation, police sent Chris home. Although his story didn't add up, without a body, it would be almost impossible to charge him with Aaron's murder. And a few days later, Chris and Nicole Lee left 29 Palms. On July 7th, the last day of his Marine contract, Chris was officially honorably discharged from the Marines. The Lees packed up their belongings and headed back to Anchorage, Alaska. And that might have been it. But police kept working on the case, eventually tracking down the friend, Joseph, who had gone along with Chris on the trip where he initially explored the old mining district. And investigators also stayed determined to find Aaron's body. And when they finally did, they were ready. On Monday, August 18th, in Anchorage, Chris and Nicole Lee were driving his mother's Chevy Suburban back to his parents' house when they saw red and blue lights flashing in the rearview mirror. Next time on Case Closed. It's easy to have an opinion when you're, you're not there and hearing all the evidence and everything to think, well, why, did they, could have, why didn't they find him guilty? It's so obvious. If his attorney tried to dig up dirt on her, he would not find it. They would have to make something up. And they did. Case Closed is a production of Macmillan Podcasts. The show is produced by Katie Ferguson 
with help from Becky Celestina, Camila Salazar, Sarah Grill, and Alyssa Martino. Huge thanks to Shanna Hogan. To learn more about Erin Corwin's story, pick up a copy of Shanna's new book, Secrets of a Marine's Wife, now available at any bookstore or as an audiobook. We'll be back with a new episode next Tuesday. I'm Charlie Spicer. Thanks so much for listening. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.